Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding worlds of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the resonant ecosystem, a crystal ball. At times we all wish we had a crystal ball, you know, something that could help you see into the future. Now what if the crystal ball was a gateway into your imagination, your own personal vision of what you could help accomplish in the future? That'd be pretty awesome, right? Well, that's the spirit of our conversation today with these fine fellows, and I do that in air quotes, fellows, that are interviewed in this podcast. Elizabeth Sanfilippo, Jonathan Gensler, and Xavier Walter all applied for and were selected to be the ResNet Emerging Leadership Council Fellows for 2019. In today's episode, we're going to hear about the similarities and differences in their backgrounds, as well as contrasting the opportunities and the challenges in the regions in which they work. We'll also learn of their hopes and goals for the future of the industry and some concrete plans they have to achieve those goals. One common theme developed was that of being an inspiration and offering to teach, train, and educate on a regular basis to help their markets progress. We will close with a challenge that I gave them at the end of the podcast. I hope you listen in and you're inspired. I'm going to allow each one of them to introduce themselves in order, and let's start off with Elizabeth San Filippo. Hi, I'm Elizabeth San Filippo, and I'm with Eco3 in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay, and next is John Gensler. John, want to introduce yourself, please? Sure. John Gensler, the founder of Revive Energy in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, and then last but not least, and usually alphabetically by first name, you're going to be last, right? Absolutely. I am Xavier Walter with Energy Efficient West Virginia. And you spell that starting with an X, right? Yes, sir. My friends call me Zave, though. That's good. Well, we're going to call you Zave today. We're going to pretend, if we aren't already, we're going to be your friends by the end of this <laughs> recording here. So the topic today is to talk about the Emerging Leadership Council. First, I'm going to ask Elizabeth, can you explain to us a little bit more about what the ELC is? Sure. The Emerging Leadership Council, we basically have a call once a month with the other members and help coordinate the conference, help with new ideas and initiatives of ResNet. And also our focus is sort of on figuring out the best ways to recruit future generations into the energy industry and specifically Hirsch Raiders. Tell me, Elizabeth, a little bit about your background in terms of what do you do? What drew you into the ResNet system? All right. Well, just give a high school quick version. I went to college in Vermont and after that, I moved to New York and lived there for five and a half years, where I worked for a couple of developers and architects, and became interested in green building and high-performance buildings, but there wasn't a whole lot of it going on at the firms that I was working in. Eventually, moved back to Birmingham and decided to get my advanced degree in environmental management. So I got a master's in that, and as I was wrapping up, I was looking around for companies in the area that do high performance buildings and or involved with them and found Eco3, reached out to the owner. We met, uh, started as an intern and have done some training since then, just gotten more and more into it and became a Hearst Raider a couple years ago. It's a small company, so I do 
a little bit of everything. I help with marketing, bookkeeping, pretty much, you know, if there's an IT issue, I can try and help that. But I also do most of our new construction code compliance testing. So I run a lot of blower door tests and duct leakage tests. John, tell me a little bit about your background, please. So I'm a former Army officer. I grew up in southern West Virginia, not too far from where I live now in Nashville. Um, after a couple of deployments in the early 2000s with the U.S. Army, I left the service and pretty quickly thereafter uh, started work in the energy performance space call it, uh, and got involved with the U.S. Green Building Council largely out of the concern that climate change posed a pretty significant national security risk, which has been the, the primary motivator for me in this space for, I guess it's almost 15 years now since I left the Army. I've worked on a lot of different sectors in energy technology, everything from building controls and lighting controls to I was a, a large-scale commercial solar developer for several years in New York and working with the Department of Defense. I managed to go back to graduate school to get a couple of degrees focused on energy and environmental business and policy. That was when I started working in the solar industry, did some work with the Department of Energy at their RPE, Advanced Technology Office in DC. And then a couple of years ago, my wife and I decided to move our family to Nashville. Um, I left New York City, be a little bit closer to home for both of us. And when I got to Nashville, looking at opportunities, wanting to stay in the energy sector and just saw how gangbusters the housing market is here, um, coinciding with a real lack of codes coming where I was coming from in the Northeast for a decade, just the lack of up-to-date codes here uh, stifled my ability to find a home that I wanted to live in. This is before I became a HERS Raider. I looked into what was available and asked a builder to build me an Energy Star home. But just the lack of that, the market of that type of home here led me to see an opportunity to help grow it, help grow it first in Tennessee, but then decided to focus on hiring and training other veterans to do this work. Uh, so we've got a couple of vets working for me now for our small company. And our focus now is uh, help the high-performance homes industry grow throughout the South, but also to bring military service veterans into this space and to what I think is a high growth industry with a lot of potential and a lot of job satisfaction at the end of the day. Pretty awesome. Thank you for your service. Sure thing. Let's give Dave a couple minutes to explain his background and how he got to this point. Not every detail, Dave. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I can go on forever. Basically, it boiled down to one. I was in the I served in the United States Navy and I enlisted. And when I got out, I quickly entered the mortgage finance business, which collapsed. And I found myself needing a new career. And not only that, but unable to afford my large, uncomfortable house. So the county low-income weatherization program sent in two raiders and they did a, an energy assessment on my house and sealed and insulated stuff. And I'm like, wow, I feel so much more comfortable and I feel like I can breathe easier and I can make a career out of this. So I started poking around and going to trainings and started doing assessments, energy assessments, and the work associated with those assessments work pretty closely with the New Jersey Clean Energy Program and some of the gas utility programs there for energy efficiency. And the market in New Jersey kind of plateaued. A lot of great people were in the industry, 
and I was looking for a change. So I moved to West Virginia, got a job there working for a small nonprofit in the advocacy field. And as a, a raider, that's one of the verticals of service that we can provide the building stock in West Virginia, which uh, like Nashville is in dire need of improvement, specifically from a code perspective. I also see it as a great opportunity to help in the just transition from fossil fuels and those coming back from overseas serving our country to be able to enter this great job market. Terrific. And thank you for your service too, Dave. Really appreciate that. So it sounds like a lot of these, the motivations here for you to become raiders, and I assume all three of you are raiders, you have raiding companies, or are raiders yourselves, come from some personal motivations. And one of the, the more interesting ones I found here, uh, Jonathan, I went ahead and I looked at your uh, LinkedIn profiles, people tend to do these days, and I saw an interesting movie you had a link to called The Burden. That's an interesting thing to talk about a little bit. I would love to talk about The Burden. So The Burden was a documentary that I start in, but also helped work with the producer on, which focuses on the U.S. military's reliance on fossil fuels for energy on the battlefield. Um, also here at home, but it really focuses on what I would call expeditionary energy more than anything else, and how that reliance on fossil fuels is a threat, both operationally, but also strategically funding not, not only American oil companies, but propping up the price of oil around the world, which funds some of our worst enemies across the globe. I was pretty happy to get to participate as a member of the cast of the film. Um, it's been used for six or seven years now to really try to bring together people in communities that care about the military, you call it more conservative America or red America, where the topic of climate change or fossil fuel use is largely shied away from or frowned upon or viewed as a partisan thing from the left. And what we have tried to do with that film and then some subsequent films is bridge the gap and use it as a convening subject matter to bring different types of audiences together, specifically audiences that are tied closely to the military. So areas around bases or parts of the country that have a disproportionately high number of people that serve in the military, places like West Virginia, and cities and towns throughout the South. That film, in turn, inspired the initial producer, a friend of mine named Roger Sorkin, to found a nonprofit called the American Resilience Project, which has gone on to produce other films focused on similar topics. One called Tidewater, which focuses on sea level rise at the Norfolk Navy base area. And then our newest film called Current Revolution, which focuses on the transformation of the electric grid itself again, with a lot of help and a focus on the intersection between large utilities and the military, specifically Georgia Power and their work with the Department of Defense facilities in Georgia was a big focus of that. And again, that work is an effort to change the tenor of the discussion about climate and energy away from a partisan focus and more to a, this is a real challenge. This is a real threat. The Department of Defense takes it very, very seriously. What are the solutions? What are we doing? And what can we be doing more of to further secure our nation and our nation's ideals? Got it. Very, very important topic. I feel like the sense, I don't know if uh, Resnet did this intentionally, but you were elected or appointed or brought in as Emerging Leadership Council Fellows. 
And we'll talk about what the fellows means and the requirements for that and how that all happened. But it seems like there's this common thread of community involvement and getting involved in in projects that are sort of outside of the normal routine. And I noticed, again, from uh, Elizabeth's background, that you brought in the Tiny Lab. Is that correct? Yes, we did. It's a high-performance house on wheels. And Corbett Lunsford and his wife built it themselves and documented all their trials and tribulations and a few failures and some awesome diagnostic tests that they did on the house. And they basically drove it all around the country and made stops in various cities. And I believe they're still living in it outside of Atlanta. I was there two months ago. Yes, they are. Ah, cool. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of out of the scope of rating, but all you folks, all three of you are involved in different things that are community action and community involvement and trying to draw more people in. And the subject today, we're talking about your background, your hopes, your plans for the future in the industry. And I think some of what I'm hearing today is that you're doing things that are bigger than you. You're getting involved with things that are are bigger and and more of the public face. So, Zave, I know you do a lot of things in terms of working with the communities. Tell us what you do sort of outside of your normal scope of work. My primary focus is to try to help the Appalachian region understand the value of kind of what we're doing. I take advantage of many of my travels to stop for the weekend and go hiking and kind of seeing the beautiful sights around Appalachia, which is my favorite thing. It really gives me the chance to talk to the people, get into the towns, meet the workers that are hungry for work, and involving myself in some of the transitional efforts with some of the other great nonprofits around West Virginia specifically really gives me the ability to see one and use my experience having been through the evolution of new codes and home performance and building performance. We're able to, I'm able to kind of provide solutions that are most effective without spinning our wheels. And it seems to be really a huge opportunity because you have so many people that want to work and they just, they don't know where to go or what to do. So it's almost like you can build an entire industry off of wasted energy dollars. I know we we often say it a lot that energy efficiency is just how we pay for this stuff. The real benefit, especially in some of these more moderate to low income communities or the most devastated by the effects of extraction, really need healthier homes. West Virginia doesn't necessarily have an energy efficiency issue. It has a health and safety issue. So I feel like what we're doing not only can help the folks there in their day-to-day lives, but also the new homes that are being built to make sure that the consumer is getting what they pay for and they're going to get a house that's going to be safe and durable for years to come. That's uh, quite a rich fabric that we're weaving here in this conversation, (laughs) all these different things that we're engaged in, you all are engaged in. I'll pivot back to Jonathan. Can you describe the process of becoming an ELC fellow? Let others out there know. So the first thing to do is I became a HERS Raider a year and a half ago or so and founded my company on the premise that it was a service that was needed or that we could provide value to home builders in Middle Tennessee. Um, As a member of ResNet, which I joined, um, I joined it initially, became a member of a paying member of ResNet for marketing purposes and for access to marketing materials that ResNet provides for HERS Raiders. And I knew that they had an annual ResNet conference where you know, they talked about kind of what was going to happen in the year, cutting edge technologies, changes to rating software or different methodologies. And I knew that that existed. One day I got an email as on part of the marketing, you know, maybe it was a marketing email from ResNet saying, hey, we have this thing called the Emerging Leadership Council. 
and we're accepting applications to become emerging leadership fellows, in which case we will you will be brought on to the ELC as a fellow, but we want you to be new to the industry. So the requirements were uh, worked in the industry for five years or less, so relatively new compared to a lot of other people. And we had to submit answers to written questions and submit a video of ourselves explaining why we thought we should be a fellow. And then ResNet is, comped us our registration fee and hotels for the conference. Still had to get to New Orleans on our own, but once you got to New Orleans, you know, your hotel and, and the conference registration fee were granted to us for the fellowship. The questions themselves were fairly thought-provoking. What do you expect to provide to? Like, What are you going to bring to the industry as a whole? What do you expect to provide to the industry over the next five years? Why do you want to be a fellow? Things like that. So that it was, uh, they were thought-provoking questions, which I enjoyed. It helped me clarify my own purpose a little bit and, and why I was doing this work. So I enjoyed the application process. And then a month or so, maybe six weeks went by, and I'm guessing the existing ELC and probably a slew of other people reviewed the applications, and we were told that the three of us were selected. Uh, so I was pretty excited to get that note. Really awesome. So you all work in different parts. You're mostly, I guess, are all uh, east of the Mississippi, but different states, different challenges. Elizabeth, tell us what's particularly challenging in your area from the standpoint of your business. I'd say code enforcement is a big challenge. A lot of people that I interact with they may not have ever had to have a duct test done or don't know what a building envelope test is. So kind of spreading a word about industry trends and getting people to buy in and understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and how it benefits their client and how it's going to make for a, a better end product. And also, I guess the lack of incentives in the state make it a little bit challenging sometimes. People would like to be able to get a tax break if they're making their house more energy efficient, and that just is not currently happening. What's your service territory? I mean, where, how far do you cover? You're based out of Birmingham area? Yes. Generally, we also have an office in Fairhope, Alabama, down on the coast. So I'm pretty much the middle of the state, Birmingham, sort of out maybe 50, 100 miles. I'm generally less than 50 miles outside of the city. And it's a little bit ironic because this I live in the city of Birmingham and they have not adopted an energy code. So it's not enforced in the city. But what I'm learning too is that HVAC installers specifically really need to follow the current state law. So even if the city is not requiring them to have these tests done, Sorry, HVAC people and builders. I do a lot of duct testing, so I'm sort of thinking of that. So they don't volunteer to do it necessarily. Volunteer to comply with state law, which sounds a little weird, but... <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, we'll talk to Zay for a minute here and pivot off that uh, topic Elizabeth just was talking about, instructional training, education. How much of your time do you spend doing that? I think I spend quite almost all my time educating people. It just seems like... Not only are the code officials not aware of the values of what we're doing, but the a lot of the homeowners and the ratepayers themselves don't realize the value of what we do. They have that unvented combustion appliance that's been in their bedroom for 
20, 30 years. And they're like, well, I'm not dead yet, but they don't tie that to the sinus surgery that they just had or their kid has asthma and they don't tie that to the wet, dirty crawl space. So trying to educate and overcome that gap to show that value is probably my primary concern. And just like Elizabeth said, the lack of incentives to do that in a lot of our, especially in the Southern states and some of these more regulated states, they don't value energy efficiency as a resource like coal and natural gas. We devote ratepayer dollars into energy efficiency that puts less burden on the grid in its entirety and can really stem off some of the future carbon emissions goals that we need to meet. So those are kind of the two challenges. And the best way to do that is through education. I've been teaching realtors and builders and HVAC contractors, and we're fortunate to have training dollars to touch pretty much anybody. And that even goes down to the home shows shows and talking to the contractors that work there that are exhibiting there and getting a chance to talk with the homeowners as they walk through and just kind of give them, plant the seed that their home can be so much more comfortable. And that hot upstairs and cold downstairs doesn't necessarily mean you need a second unit in your house. You just may need to seal and insulate. So, and education's the way to go. That's kind of the first step. And then hopefully we can move with the practitioners and get some of these displaced coal miners and these returning veterans certified and get them qualified to get out there running blower doors and duck blasters and spreading the word. Very cool. John, what's your work life look like in terms of training and instructing and inspiring? At its most fundamental level, I would say Nashville and Tennessee in general are is a more advanced region as far as codes, evolution and codes enforcement than either Alabama or, or West Virginia. The state actually does have 2009 IECC as a state law. Tennessee is a home rule state, so state law doesn't apply. Local jurisdictions have to adopt it. But virtually every jurisdiction in Tennessee has adopted at least the 2009. So, but that didn't come into force, for instance, in Metro Nashville area until January 1st, 2017. So eight years after it was put into being in 2017, came into to force in the state of Tennessee and, and Metro Nashville. Coincided with when I moved here. And so the requirements to have lower door tests and duct leakage testing done started about the time I got here and was one of the reasons I started this business, recognizing, hey, this is a new requirement. There's not going to be a large volume of service providers serving this massive building industry here. And so there's an opportunity for a young startup, upstart company to come in and try to build this market and help shape it, which is what we've been trying to do for the last year and a half or so. Really, really the last year. We launched our service offering in January of last year. So, you know, it's been 15 months or so. So the challenge then was, hey, I'm not a local. My colleague and co-founder is not a local. He was, I got him out of the army out of Fort Campbell, which is about 40 minutes away from Nashville. And he was local in the army, but neither of us are from around here. So getting and earning the trust of local home builders who oftentimes are longtime contractors that have been here for generations, earning their trust has been probably the biggest impediment to growing our business. But we now have several builders that we work with doing their IDL testing, their code compliance testing. And we've been able to sell the value of full HERS ratings to some builders as well, who are now doing 100% 
full on HERS ratings with no incentive other than we want to validate the quality of our building. And we do believe that our homes should sell for a higher value. They're more valuable to homeowners and they'll be more valuable at the resale when the homeowner leaves. So it's the notion of knowing what the score of a house has value is starting to be recognized here, even without codes enforcement, even without financial incentives that are based on the tax code. But the largest impediment is is sharing that story, is explaining the value, is selling the value of what we do. And then we really trying to constantly sell the value of things beyond even hers ratings, Energy Star Homes, the big national builders, several of them do 100% Energy Star Homes. Why do they do that? The homes are just more valuable. It's part of their reputation. It's part of their brand. So we we continue to try to a, earn trust of builders. We meet builders where they are and want to help them build better homes. So if they're building a code minimum home today, we would like to help them build the best code minimum house they can. And along the way, after we've seen a few dozen of their houses, have some ideas of things that they can change at minimal cost that are going to boost the quality of that home for their homeowners. Exactly. Get them to move incrementally along that spectrum. That's exactly right. That's our focus is anyone who will work with us, we will help them build better. We'll help them identify things that they can do to build better. And we will help them realize increased financial value for those homes as they get better, ultimately through ratings. Yes. It sounds like all three of you have this perspective commonly talked about as the long view. It's not in for immediate gain, but you're looking at the very long picture and you're going to continue working away and chipping away at it. I want to ask all three of you a question. I'd like to start with Elizabeth. So I'd like to ask the question, going back to when you were younger, is there anything about where you are today that you can say pointed you in this direction? Is there anything you wanted to do, a career aspiration you had, or a goal that you had coming from backwards would be to this point today? Anything that lines up? For me, this may sound bad too, but I spent most of my growing up years thinking that I wanted to do something related to arts and visual arts, and then realized that that was more of a hobby passion of mine and not something that I wanted to be tied to trying to make a living at doing that, I guess. When I started working in New York and just seeing the amount of people and consumption and just everything is sort of multiplied there because you've got so many people living on top of each other, that's probably the turning point where I was looking at the things that we were building and designing and sort of asking myself, why aren't we going above and beyond to do this better and to build beyond code? something that's above just the basic requirements. That's probably the turning point that got me interested in going back to school. And and also just in my 20s, having a bunch of jobs and working for people to figure out what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. That's just as important. <laughs> yes. So at kind of a roundabout way that I ended up in this industry, but I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've encountered along the way and just the different training opportunities that I've presented themselves or that I've come across have kind of led me in that direction too. I initially got a grant to become a green associate with the U.S. Green Building Council. So that just furthered my interest and it kind of, I guess, spiraled from there. And then I went back to school and then got 
got right into it. Yeah, but perhaps the artistic approach is like the house is a system, things fitting together, working in harmony. And maybe there is something there if you look finely enough at the detail. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So I've talked to other people in the industry, and there tend to be a lot of people in, involved with music in the arts. It's very interesting to lead them to this point. So I'm going to switch over here to Zave, give him a chance to say, looking back when you were younger, anything about your career aspirations at that point that you thought might have led you to this point today? I think looking back, I always wanted to be a salesperson. My grandfathers were both salespeople, and, but I always, what was important is to have something that I was selling that I really honestly believed in. And it felt like it was a passion more than just a job. And I think the military gave me the structure in which to behave that way. And then when going through the mortgage industry in its early years, kind of gave me a whole nother skill set, how to talk to people like realtors. And I kind of look back at that time when I used to go door to door and, and try to get realtors to use me as their mortgage person. Those same behaviors and conversations and some of that same training I had then is almost identical to the behaviors now where I'm going into realtors and trying to teach them how to use energy efficiency to grow their business. So I think that being passionate and the old saying goes, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So that's kind of been my goal. And I think one thing that's happened moving south is it's kind of given me the opportunity to balance myself much nicer and work in an environment that I appreciate even more. So kind of getting drawn back to the place that my grandparents first settled off the boat from Europe kind of gave me that freedom and that comfort level. Very interesting. And I'm sure the pace of life is a little different from New Jersey. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> sure. John, how about the same kind of question thrown at you? I think about an answer to this kind of question a lot, actually. I tend to be a fairly self-reflective person. And the number of different times I've changed careers since I've left the Army, if I look back, it's, it's somewhat astonishing. I've spent two or three years at a place, two or three years at a place, and two or three years at a place trying to further match what it is that I'm doing with the values that I was raised with and, and have refined as an adult. And I think the at the core of that is a notion of service to community, which is we're trying to build a company in Revive that is of service. It's, we want to live and work in communities that we live in and work on and help the communities to be more resilient, um, to be stronger, and to be better places to live. So that's at the fundamental core of what we're building with Revive. And I think that stretches all the way back to my childhood where I spent countless weekends serving with my church youth group and I went to West Point where the notion of service to nation is at the core of its very identity through the army. And then even in my first corporate job, you know, I chose the company that I worked for because they were a member of the U.S. Green Building Council and I would have an opportunity to get involved with something larger than the company. Going so far as to even volunteering to serve on the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania City Council on their environmental they had an environmental council that reported to the city council. And I think that that notion of service, which is something I saw my parents and family doing throughout my childhood and then throughout my time in the military, it's something that is critical to what we're doing today and drives a lot of our decision-making about wanting to hire vets and train vets, where and how we focus our efforts and why we are concerned with the quality and comfort of homes that people live in. And say it's the reason for our existence. It's pretty awesome how it all fits together there. And just so you get a chance to each one of you to sort of plug where you work, your businesses, it's 
It's revive-energy.com. Is that correct? That's the website, John? That's the website, yes. All right. So that's where, where they could find you there. Let's also pivot from that point and say, looking forward for where you're now, where you stand now, where you sit now, where you work now, what's it look like for the future in this industry? Call it the housing industry or the energy-efficient housing industry. I'm going to go back in order to uh, Elizabeth to answer that one first. I'm very interested in energy mortgages and energy improvement mortgages. And I think it's a really underutilized program. Those underutilized programs that a lot of realtors and mortgage brokers don't know exist. And home buyers. I'd like to get in front of more realtors and actually I'm going to be in front of some next week to introduce them to the HERS concept and how it can help them differentiate themselves amongst a sea of any other realtors and continue to work with more builders and like John was talking about, get the buy-in from the people who could really benefit from this. And just, yeah, share that in the idea that you don't have to spend an arm and a leg for your power bills and you shouldn't be uncomfortable or unhealthy in your home. That's my main issue. And to continue teaching builders and HVAC installers best practices and help them get better at what they do. That's going to benefit the end user. It's going to make businesses look better and we'll use less energy and everything will be great. I hope that'll be it. It'll be a beautiful picture. Thank you. All right, Zave, I'm going to ask you the same question. What's it look like going forward for you? What's the future you envision for this industry? Coming from having been in this the industry for a bunch of years now, but being new to the ResNet landscape, one thing that I've seen become abundantly clear is that there are lots and lots of people out there running blower doors, sharing the same passion that we have. And one of the number one goals for me is to try to bridge the gap and bring the whole industry together and help deliver one clear great, concise message down to the homeowners and the realtors and really try to make penetration into the areas that are most important, like that MLS, and get a value of dollar amount on those appraisal reports. And I think through combined efforts and large commodity scale numbers of homes and some of these great new programs and these great people and and industries that are kind of coming together will enable us to make maximum impact for the benefit of the whole. And one of the, I see our industry often siloed in pretty dramatic fashion. And if I could have one dream over the next couple of years is to try to lend a voice and some effort and some organization to bringing everybody together and being able to affect massive change, not only at the federal level, because we have a lot of good stuff coming down the pike there, but also at the municipal level and the county level and the state level where a lot of those decisions are made and empower a bunch of people to be resources and to kind of take the information that the three of us have and kind of duplicate ourselves like Jonathan's bringing these people in on our high level of integrity and kind of giving them the tools that they need to be successful in the marketplace. And that way we can kind of permeate down. But I think the best way to do that is if we all stand together under one big tent. Yes, the siloed industry. Yeah, I think time is not our friend and there's tons of work to do. I agree. And we have the resources together and there's so many great players in this marketplace. And I think together we can really do some awesome stuff. Awesome. John, your turn. So I am 
really laser focused on the areas that we want to operate in as a company. And our focus over the next three years is to probably geographically bridge the gap between where Elizabeth is operating in South Alabama and where Zave is operating in West Virginia. We aspire to be a dominant player in the home performance industry throughout the South by targeting and identifying military veterans whose hometowns are in the South and enabling them to go back home and start a business that's going to support their family and other families, um, building community resilience and comfort and changing the game and how people think about their homes all across the South, where I think all of us would agree the status quo is subpar and is just not good enough for America. And so I see a future that's starting in places like Nashville, which are, are starting to push codes forward and then bridging geographically into the whole South. We think it's going to be great for business. It's going to be great for families. And it's going to be great for communities. And we want to be a driver in that change in this make, really untapped market. Make it happen. Yeah, we want to make it happen. So it's a really great conversation. I can understand now why you were chosen to be emerging leaders. You all, in your own ways, in some ways very similar, but also in ways very different, uh, regionally dependent, and from different backgrounds have all come together to become leaders in this industry. I'll give you the chance here if you'd like to have a closing thought as we wrap up the podcast. I just wanted to share an interesting thing that I encounter a lot is when I go out for a new client, whether a builder or HVAC installer, and they've never had to do any of these code compliance tests. And they'll say, how does this work? What, what are you doing? Why do you do that? I've been building 30 years and I've never had to do this. And then we find that the duct system they've installed is leaking at 30%, where code requires it to be at 4%. It just I chuck a little bit at it, but it's something that is sort of an issue that I hope builders and, and techs can get past is that we build the same way that we did 30 years ago. Or we don't practice this medicine the exact same way we did 30 years ago. So we've, we've all got to be open to new innovation, new techniques, and move forward together like the other guys were saying. Yeah. You need to carry around a box of toothpicks to keep people's eyes open to these things. <laughs> Very, very good. John or Zave, any closing thoughts here? I appreciate that. What Elizabeth said is nowadays we have cell phones in our pockets, right? We never thought we would have be able to pull money out of the wall of at a grocery store. So people really need to understand that the more we know, the more we're able to make our lives better. And that better may mean healthier air and lower bills. And those are two real vital things. I think through this process, one of the other things that's most important is that we really take equity and the spread of this equity into account. We're dealing with billions of wasted energy dollars across the country that we can use to the benefit of this industry and, and homeowners and business owners. But we want to make sure that that gets spread around evenly and you know that people that are disadvantaged just much of a share as the people in the top 1% and that we use this market and jobs opportunity to empower women and minorities and and really bring the diversity into the industry because that's where I think we're able to really make a good solid foundation into the understanding is if we can 
include everybody in the value of what we're doing, in the work that we're doing, in the financial gain. And that way it goes down to all that reaches deeper into the demographics across the nation, which is just like the three of us are very diverse in what we do and kind of how we do it. But at the end of the day, we're all pretty much doing the same thing and trying to lower energy costs and make people's houses more safe, healthy, and efficient. That's a great sentiment. Thank you. John, do you have a closing thought too? Yeah. Core to what we do is the belief that every builder can build better, no matter where they're starting from. And no matter how long they've been in business, we've all encountered that that person who's been building for decades, as Elizabeth mentioned. We believe that they want to build the best home that they can for the best price that they can. It's just a matter of finding the values that we can connect on with them and showing them the financial value of doing things perhaps a little bit differently than they're used to. And we think that we can build a profitable business off of that that's going to revitalize communities throughout the rural South and give people a lower cost of living and a more comfortable home while doing it. But where the rubber meets the road for us is that the builder. And it is that it's a core belief. Every builder wants to build the best home that they can. And we exist to help them do that, even though they may not realize that they need to yet or know how to do it. We believe in the building community of America, and we believe they have the best interests of American homeowners at heart even though a lot of them tend to fight against changes in codes. We're looking for ways to bridge that and to help them realize value from doing things better and differently. And that's one of the things that motivates me and motivates our company. So I think that's, if you're out there listening, home builders, give us a call or, or find another HERS rater to talk to because they're going to be able to help you do things better and make more money and have happier customers. Very true. So I also want to make sure, uh, Elizabeth, you're, Website, your company's eco-3, the number three spelled out.com. Yes, sir. Okay. And Zave, you can be reached at EEWV for Energy Efficiency West Virginia. Is that correct? .org? Yep. Energy Efficient West Virginia. And you can find Zave Walter on Facebook. As we wrap up here today, I'm going to give the three of you a challenge because it sounds like if you're not already, you need to be friends because I hear so much harmony about your aspirations, your dreams, your perspectives on things. And I'm going to give you the, maybe it's not, not so much a challenge, hopefully it isn't a challenge, but I'd like you to stay in touch, at least be in touch, the three of you together, have a conference call quarterly, because if you're truly going to be the emerging leaders for ResNet, you need to stay in touch and to build the synergy that you started here today. Thanks, Bill. So I want to thank you all. Yeah, you're welcome. I like that challenge. Good. All right. You're on, right? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I thought it was so cool to be honored with this award and then instantly be in this group with these other two guys who are also newer to the industry. It was cool to go to the conference, not really know anyone and be introduced to these two wonderful guys who are doing great things in the industry. Thanks, Elizabeth. I'm glad that uh, John and I have a lot of friends in common. When we got together, we figured at least we could count at least 12 people we know pretty close in common. It was great. Virginia is a small state. Okay, so we're going to wrap up here today on the Res Talk podcast. Uh, we've had some fun talking with Elizabeth, John, and Zave, and we look forward to you coming back again and listening to a future episode. And maybe we'll have the three of them back when they've become the leaders. Not they're just emerging; they've become the leaders of ResNet. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all. I want to thank you for listening, and we hope you heard a few inspirational things from the three people that we interviewed today that were the fellows chosen from the Emerging Leadership Council for 2019. 
Now, if you're pro in the building market and you want to learn more about ResNet, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or even join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter, and the Twitter handle is at ResNet, R-E-S-N-E-T-U-S. Here's a quote for the day. This quote is from Queen Elizabeth II. I know of no single formula for success, but over the years I have observed that some of the attributes of leadership are universal and are often about finding ways of encouraging people to combine their efforts, their talents, their insights, their enthusiasm, and their inspiration to work together. That's part of what this podcast is about. It's it's helping us all to learn to work better together. If you're interested in feeding back to Resin on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or have just a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. And also, always, if you've not subscribed, please do so. You always get the podcast fresh, loaded to your device as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening to the Res Talk podcast, and we hope you have you back again next time. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn. Produced by Brian Orr and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.